Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madvi, what's the topic this week? This week, we are delighted to have on the podcast Ghanaian poet, singer, and spoken word artist, Ama Asantwa Diaka, who performs as Poetra Asantwa. She recently released her debut collection of poems called Woman Eat Me Whole, which is described as a bold, mesmerizing debut collection exploring womanhood, the body, mental illness, and what it means to move between cultures. She's also the founder of an NGO called Black Girls Glow, which fosters collaboration among women artists and explores ways that art can build community. Luckily for us, Poetra is currently here for a six-week residency with Music Board Berlin. She recently had an amazing book launch at the queer feminist bookstore She Said in Kreuzberg which is where we met her and decided that we had to invite her onto her podcast. Welcome, and thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We loved your book. We both read it, and we loved your book launch. You said at the bookstore the other night, I'm not sure exactly how you put it, but something like, poetry is the ultimate art form. Can you talk a little bit about this form and your love for it, and why you think that? Um, I think I say this a lot, like everywhere I go. And in, in some ways, it is my way of trying to push poetry at the front of the hierarchy because I recognize that as a form in whichever way it's presented, it isn't as appreciated as it should be. Um, in the publishing industry, poetry is doesn't pay as much as fiction does or doesn't get as much publicity and marketing as fiction does. In the audio industry, spoken word poets do not have the same platforms or same spaces like singing or hip-hop etc will be but I truly believe that everything starts with a poem I Mm -hmm. believe that um, songwriting starts with poetry hip-hop starts with poetry all these art forms that we communicate in as long as there is some kind of language involved it starts with poetry and so that's what I mean when I say it's the ultimate art form I like to say that it's the as the unit of, of literature, of writing, because a lot of things um, start in that form. The conciseness, the preciseness of poetry allows, it's the root for so many other things to grow from it. Yeah. I think poetry is the closest thing to magic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I would take that. Because of all the, like, genres I've read like obviously you can be very moved by a novel by things but I think poetry it's different they did these interesting studies in the brain of people who use poetry and their left side and right side are more connected up because it's funny you use sort of an emotional side Mm. and then with language you're sort of you're breaking the structure of language you know because you're going into sort of weird territory basically Mm -hmm. right you start with something concrete or maybe you don't start with something concrete but you break language and this you're playing with the structure in a way to create meaning and Mm. it's just yeah yeah (laughs) poetry is great (laughs) so the collection starts with a very interesting poem and one that points to what a lot of poems in this collection are about and that is the role of women in ghana whether it's in the past in the present or the future 
And we'd love to hear you read that first poem, but maybe first it would be really good to get a bit of background on the poem and what it refers to and why it was significant for you not only to write, but also to start your entire collection with. The first poem of this book is titled Amankuma. So if anybody's familiar with Ghana's history, Ghana became independent um, in 1957, with then president um, Kwame Nkrumah. And Kwame Nkrumah has a long history. He started out as a secretary, as, you know, a foot soldier, like a footboy for the higher ups. But because he was doing so much groundwork, he was more in touch with the people. And so gradually there was this familiarity and this popularity that pushed him into his own, I think, becoming as a politician. And he had very specific desires. He had very specific intentions about what he wanted for the country. And his motto was always and governance now, independence now, as opposed to what the British were initially saying, like, you know, let's do half-half. Let's let's have half Brits in the parliament and half Ghanaians and Kwame Kumar was like, no, we have to have full control of our country. But, you know, because of that rebellion or that, you know, stance, he was always in jail or he was always in hiding or one of the other things. There was a period of time where Kwame Kumar was jailed. And once he was no longer physically on the ground, the I, I guess the stamina with which everybody was, you know, following him died down. In Ghana, for their cunts, which is uh, most of the people in the south and the east, whichever day you're born on, you are named after that day. It's in variation. So the Fantis, the, uh, the, the Akans, we all have, but it's very similar. So for instance, um, somebody born on Monday will be called Ajwa if she's female, and the male will be called Kuju. And so there are variations of it. The same Ajwa with another... Um, place could be Ajo, but it's still the same variation, or Kuju could be Kujo in different variations. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with Saturday born. So the male born on Saturday is called Kwame, and the female born on Saturday is called Ama. So this woman, um, we don't know her identity. We don't know who she is. We don't know what she looked like. We just know that because the, you know, the whole thing had just died down, she went to the market center, stood on you know, made a made a pulpit out of, I don't know, a crate or something and just went like, we are all in Kermis. I am Aman Kermis, you are Kwame Kermis. We have to follow his dream, even if he's not here. And that's how Aman Kermis just came about. And I decided to write about Aman Kermis because Ghana hasn't really done a good job of documenting its women. It's almost as if, like if you look at our history, it's almost as if they're saying there were no women in existence. There were no women who were involved in our liberation, who were involved in our well-being, who were involved in our progressiveness. And so it's very important for me to, I guess, mortalize this person, to to kind of memorialize her, even though we don't really have her details, who she really is. Um, and so in my own way, it's kind of trying to write women back into history. Mm-hmm. So that's where Aman Kuma came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read Amankroma. Amankroma, Act 1, Scene 1, Enter Woman. We do not know what she looked like. How stretched her flesh was laid out in the husk of her being, how charred her eyes may have been. How clickety her laughter may have sounded. The elasticity of the jiggle in her behind when her feet landed on ground. We do not know which tribe she came from. 
who her mother was, what language she may have spoken and which name she bore, we only know that if there was a palette of colours she would have fallen anywhere between the darkest shade of black to the palest hue of brown. We only know that she was woman. Woman at a political rally, who claimed space on a soapbox, renamed herself in show of solidarity, slushed her cheeks with blade, smeared blood over her body and dared all the men present to follow suit to demonstrate that their collective freedom was worthy of skin-deep sacrifice. Amankoma, a name that did not belong to her, a voluntary erasure but an erasure nonetheless. For what's a name to freedom? What's breaking of skin to claiming of self? What's spilling of blood to a wholesome bond? What's a chance of being shamed to a people's sake? You haven't been loved well enough until you've been loved like a man. Christ didn't come in the body of a woman because even he knew he wouldn't have lasted all 33 years with a mouth so holy and a tongue that sharp. When love stretched wide, it was only to make space for the redemption of men. When love starved, it was only because she dreamt of fed mouths. When love bled handfuls of pain, it damn sure was because there was no escaping it. When love offered dangling breasts at the temple of protests, it was only because she believed in a kinder tomorrow hard enough to be shamed for it. When love choked on apologies, it was only because peace was the greater offering. You haven't been loved well enough until you've been loved like a man. Seemingly and a never ending way. Do you enjoy reading your poems out? I do. Mm. It's nice to hear it in your rhythm. I was observing that at your book reading, when you were holding the microphone, you were moving your fingers in time to the rhythm. I don't know if you noticed it. Really? <laughs> it was really like, nice to watch because it was kind of like waves, you know, like, like the ocean. It was beautiful. <laughs> I sat there watching your hands. I wanted to ask you about this woman. Do we know what happened to her afterwards? Are there any other stories that are famous about her? We don't know about her at all. And actually, like, her existence has even been disputed because the record of her, of this incident, only appears in in Nkrumah's autobiography. And so people have made the argument that how can we believe in Krumah because this story is in his favor this story makes him look good and so it could be that he made it up and so like there's no we don't have enough evidence to you know believe that this woman actually existed which like my argument against this is I will take a fictional character if if you say that she didn't exist I would take a fictional character as opposed to just not acknowledging that there were women involved in the struggle Mm-hmm. Um, and so, unfortunately, we don't know anything else about her beyond the details it's given. True. Becomes sort of a symbolic <laughs> character. If she's not real, it doesn't matter because it's about the, the bigger, it's yeah, it's about representation. Yeah, yeah. The representation. Not not so much the metaphor because she is real, and I believe that she is real. And I don't think that you know her appearance is so is so vastly mind-blowing that it changed Nkrumah's trajectory um, in such a way that he would 
deeply lie about it. And if if this woman's story wasn't documented, it means his story deviates from from what it eventually ended up being. So I I think that it's very relevant that mm-hmm. it's a stretched out. I guess like we we get to you know stretch out the character with just a small whether it's just a paragraph and that was written about her. Pretty sad actually that like the women's contributions were not sort of recorded or mm-hmm. acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Is there apart from you? <laughs> Other people are there. Other people who are trying to rewrite these women back into history, or new things that are being found out, or new changes in perspective. I think definitely there are other women, other um, artists who are working around, and some of them we even know them. Like there's proof of the work that they've done, or they were mentioned. Like there are videos of of them in it. But like if you go to our history, if you go to what's being taught in school, the history textbooks. We only talk about, we have something in Ghana called the Big Six, which is the six men who, um, and they're, they're on, you know, they're on our CD notes, our currency notes, everything, but we don't talk about the women. They aren't in our textbooks. They are, they are not, you know, they aren't reaching into history, but there's evidence of them. There are videos, there's work, there's speeches, there's conversations, all of these records are there, but we haven't really done the job of taking the, the intentionality to record this woman, to teach these women into and so it's individuals who are doing the work and there are a lot of individuals I mean there's something and it's also something that I'm working on I'm working on a um, a musical with um, with an artist and it's it's his work but it's centered around so we in in Ghana the market women in Ghana were very instrumental in moving CPP which is the political party of Kwame Nkrumah is the woman who funded it because the market women are one of the wealthiest people in Ghana till date because they really move the economy and back in the days they funded the political party they funded CPP but they weren't documented they weren't documented and so several people have you know taking individual market women Makula market women to you know talk about their lives how they influenced campaigns how they spread the word how they they influenced voting etc all of these things to actually push independence to where it is or where it was in that time and so there are people who are working on it I'm, I'm certainly not the only one and um, it's just that on the I guess the governmental level or, or the level that will reach the masses it's still not I would say being heavily do you think that's um because like we have in all history also in Europe is that just because the men were in charge of choosing the people that they decided to you know say our heroes or is there something else apart from you know men were writing histories and choosing their own i think it's definitely an effect of colonialism and mm-hmm. um, some i'm not sure if this is cultural or still a deficit of colonialism because women weren't seen as like it's just just literally a couple of years i would say 50 years ago or so that women were allowed to vote and um, so women weren't given that high of importance like counting population all of these those things were included um so the equality of women weren't at par with the equality of men and because of that they weren't deemed important enough to be recorded and i think that's i believe that's one of the main reasons why women weren't recorded because they weren't counted as important enough um so yeah you have um, a great poem another poem in the book which is that which must not be named 
Do you want to read it and then we can maybe continue to discuss feminism and Ghana? Mm -hmm. Yes. That which must not be named. Feminist. Urban Dictionary. A woman who seems to think that her ability to push a baby out of her vagina entitles her to bigger and better everything. Feminist. You've got to say it and put your back into it. The word first popped up in the 19th century and has now been transformed into a term of abuse aimed at young women who show the slightest hint of superiority. Feminist. Synonym for rebellion. Feminist. For women. By women. About women. Feminist. A remarkably effective word for inciting the discomfort of someone who believes in equal rights and opportunities. Practices it like a devout Christian that attends church on Sundays and weekdays, but wants absolutely nothing to do with the word feminist. Retweets a tweet about feminism that doesn't have feminism in it. Feminist. The smallest unit of the female anatomy. Feminist. Most likely an ugly, bitter, and unmarried woman who hasn't had good dick in days, and who should probably be punished with no dick if she insists on arguing rudely about equality for women in capital letters on the interwebs. Feminist. An insurgent more dedicated than a Jehovah's Witness. Committed to preaching the gospel of women as God-ordained equals of men and not dependents or playthings. Occasionally creates Twitter threads calling men out in English too complex for them to understand, much less give a fuck about. Feminist, no. The right term should be egalitarian. One who believes in true equality for all, not that bullshit feminism. Feminist. Well-educated, petty bourgeoisie, with a malice and vindictiveness towards men who can afford daily taxi rides and things fast food joints that don't have enough branches are a travesty. Feminist. One who thinks the world should work in a way that is reflective of how women struggle with balancing their career, marriage, kids, identity politics and the rest. Espouses all the feminist ideals, but explicitly states that she's in fact not a feminist. Shies away like it's Ebola. Vehemently supports how unfeminist she is by stating how she will never pay for dinner. Feminist. A less obvious way for men to get into the pants of young women. Feminist. A tyrannical fanatic who crushes anybody who steps out of the line. A little like the mainstream artist whose wax songs go viral with a shadow in the countless dope underground rooms. Feminist. A glass of diluted apple cider vinegar. Feminist. A footnote of national politics. Feminist. Merriam-Webster definition. Someone who believes that men and women should have equal rights and opportunities. When they ask if you're a feminist, Will your hand shoot up? Will you be a supporting act or a qualifier for the cause? Will you be a prop for the main show? Or a questioning mark when the curtains rise? 
Will you be mere spice garnishing the main dish? Or the main cause that's too bland, or too much, or not enough? Will you be a sophisticated dessert that makes an appearance on the menu according to the size of our purse? Will you be subtle, or gurgled, or whispered, or spat out? When they ask if you're a feminist, or your hand steer. Did you <coughs> source all of these definitions from Urban Dictionary, or what did they... No, <laughs> uh, just the first one. Okay. Um, but this poem is heavily based on conceptions, um, ideologies, um, conversations about what feminism is perpetuated to be. In Ghana, within a period of time. Um, so yeah, I was mainly observing, I guess, Ghanaian youth, a little bit of the generation before them mm-hmm. and the generation that's coming after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you observe the youth? Like, is it like online um, or like in person or? It's both in the media, in you know everyday interactions. Definitely online. In, you know, the things that we are outraged about, the conversations that happen around it, the radio conversations that happen when you're in public transport. Yeah, so it's it's a general observation that's spanned over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your relationship to the word feminist and, you know, feminism? Is there a point at which you sort of realised you were feminist or that feminist issue started kind of becoming a focus for you? Um, I would say that I was raised as a feminist. Again, you know, linking everything back to Ghana, if, you know, feminism is one of the things that in past times, I would say like a couple of years ago, there was the argument that feminism is alien, it's, it's, it's an African or it isn't part of it. But I always like to say that that's completely false. African feminism is a thing. We, the women in Ghana and Africa, in Africa have always been feminism. We just didn't have the word. We just didn't have that particular, and mainly because it's English. We just didn't have that word. And I feel the same way. Like I was raised in a house where everybody, like the my upbringing was completely about we are trying, the, our lives are headed in the direction such that everybody in this house and everybody outside this house Everybody you encounter is supposed to have equal social, economic, and political rights. And so for me, that's always been my default. So I would say I entered into the world with this knowledge. I wouldn't say I grew into feminism, just perhaps recognized the label or identified with it like, oh, so there is a word for who I am. And that's because there are other people who don't believe in this. Um, So I wouldn't say that I began identifying as a feminist I was raised as a feminist Mm. yeah so a lot of the issues that you describe in the book Mm -hmm. about body image about like that boys will be boys shit Mm -hmm. uh, you know men just get away with a lot of stuff and the lack of safe spaces for women uh, women's pain all of that sort of seemed very familiar Mm -hmm. to me even though I'm in Europe and you're writing from a different country uh, in a different continent so I was just wondering and you've lived also um, in Ghana also in the US and now you're here in Europe yeah what are your views on the similarities the differences or the peculiarities of feminist issues in different places are there any differences or yeah I mean 
there are definitely differences. I think that the feminist struggle is in some ways very similar to the class struggle. And there are certain things that binds us all together. Body image, body issues will be something that all women identify with because we all have bodies. You know, our 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 interactions with men or interactions with spaces of power, etc., will also be very similar because we encounter these in our everyday lives. And so I think that that similarity, that familiarity is something that goes round all the time. But in the same sense, there are certain differences. And even now in Ghana, like, it's why whenever I'm answering questions about this poem, I say this poem was written out of observations in a period of time. And even now, I feel like the feminism in Ghana is slowly shifting. And it's slowly shifting to a place where it's kind of battling with the class struggle. It's sort of moved from that that thing that binds us all together is there and will always be there because we will always have these bodies. Um, but it, it has gotten to a part where people who are more, who who have access to education, who have access to certain spaces, who have access to who are of a higher class are the ones who have public attention or are the ones who have access to media or are the ones who have access to certain tools to get in head. And so the probability that their issues will be at the front center is much higher. But then that doesn't mean that is the only representation of feminism or that there isn't other representations of feminism. And I feel like like with other countries beyond Ghana, that's also like when I I, I see like it, it is that feminist and class struggle that I see um and I don't I don't immediately see certain things that I will see in Ghana, which is like, you know, we are still struggling for basic education resources we are still struggling for health care we are still struggling for sexual health education that will benefit women and girls more like all of these things to a certain degree much more than other countries will and so for me those are the the distinct differences but the similarities are and will always be there like we will always have body image issues we'll always have these you know our interactions with men and the patriarchy and you know the issues that are resolved from it there's a lot of body in your poetry which mm-hmm. I love but a lot of it centers around pain yeah I just think that having a female body comes with so much pain well I'm speaking from my experience but I think generally like just yeah I would like to have a conversation with God and you know ask him to reconsider the whole I'm um, having a uterus and having ovaries and all of that um <laughs> Or at least not it coming with pain. But I think that for me, and again, it's very easy to link it back to the patriarchy because if you if you look at the history of medicine, uh, male bodies were used as you know the, the replica or the sample to for medicine for pain etc. for so long before women bodies were ever used and of course this will have an effect on how effective uh, you know medicine or or health practices have been and I think that a lot of women suffer just simply from just having uteruses and so I think I think it's still not something that has the attention and the funding that it should have because it's taken for granted like it's taking for granted that being a woman comes with pain and so like yeah that's that's just womanhood but I don't believe that it has to be that way um, so yeah, I think it's something that I have thought about 
for a very long time and so it really um it it, it shows in my writing mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. We had a guest on to come talk to us about miscarriages, and she was telling us about how actually there's not a lot of knowledge on why they happen, how to prevent them. There's no research, even the technology that we use like for pregnancy was actually invented for men. And it's kind of mind-boggling to think of like, well, yes, like this is the source of life of humanity, and yet... Yeah, it's insane, nothing. and there isn't even like so many people go through miscarriages... And it feels like you're the only person in the world that it's happening to, but it's happened to so many people yeah. and there isn't enough networked information that like people can easily get access to resources, you know, whether to prevent it or when it happens, how to go about it. And it's just like a, a cycle of going through the same old processes. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird taboo to talk about when it's like so many women are affected by it, right? Sidetracked on the miscarriage mm-hmm. speaking of which so a lot of your work focuses on building community especially with your ngo can you talk about why you decided to start it what it means what the impact is yeah so i founded and i lead a nonprofit in ghana called black girls glow black girls glow started as a project it, it didn't start as a nonprofit. For me, I was figuring out my way as an artist, as a woman artist existing in Ghana. And there were so few or no spaces that were just... I think even now there still is that issue where it's like when another female or woman, queer artist is gaining grounds and there's already another person... It's always like, hey, she's about to take your crown. It's never like there's enough space. It's always this competitiveness. Not to even say it doesn't happen with the men, but like I feel like for the women, it feels like there's only space for one woman. And not just that, but it's also reflective in, like when you go for male shows, the number of in the audience, you will see an equal distribution of women and men. When you go for female shows, you see so few men. And it's just weird. Like, why? Um, And it's rooted in a lot of things. But there there isn't, first of all, Ghana, being an artist is is a myth. Like, thriving as an artist only is is a myth. The institution, the spaces, nothing there. The education, nothing there is set up for artists. But we're not unicorns. Like, there are artists in there and so for me Black Girls Glow has evolved into creating a space for women to collaborate and to you know have a safe space to talk about it but also creating opportunities for women to exist as artists and as artists only. It sounds very simple and it is very simple but it it is sort of a wild dream for me in Ghana especially not having access to funding and resources and spaces but yeah that's what it started like six years ago and it's evolved into what is what is now like an organization that has, I guess, like a network of a couple of women who have passed through like a residency program, almost 30 women. And it's just gradually growing year by year, I guess, and, and, and looking at how we can better our individual lives, our communal lives and the country as a whole. Yeah. So cool. Can you tell us a bit more about this residency? Yes. So... It started in 2017, um, and I, I just brought together six women artists, um, including me, and we just 
literally like I think the first day we just sat together and we talked about heartbreaks or like things that were breaking our heart etc and then over a couple of weeks I just gathered everybody to in, into the studio and we started creating material around it so this included poets rappers musicians producers etc and just came and it, that just became the tradition it has evolved into right now it's a one-week residency which is which is a lot. Like I say this, and I, I remember the first time I said it at the press conference that our residency happens in one week, and within that one week, we create an album. Everybody like gasped and said, "No, that's too fast." And I do understand it is fast, but we don't have the funding yet to expand the program, so we make do with what we can. But yes, it's a one week residency where we bring women from all around the country, and we incubate them. I incubate them in a lovely place where for one week. We just have conversations, workshops, training sessions, and then we have studio sessions just trying to create. I'm just curious to hear more about this album. You say, is it spoken word? Is it so poems? It's, it's, it's everything. It's diverse, yes, diverse. everything. So like, I feel like, I think every album, so it's, it's a mixed genre. You can't even put it into one genre. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so every album has poetry on it. Every album has soul on it. Every album has rap on it. Every album has Afrobeats. It's a mixed bag of artists um, and they all explore as well when they're there yeah so and it's all the albums are available on all streaming platforms um and the bad girls blow we have a newsletter we'll actually yeah. link to that right now you're recording something i think in akut just down the road here yes what um <laughs> <laughs> so i have been here i think for the first three weeks mostly i was rehearsing for the pop couture show and um, so what we've started with music board berlin which is the first time that Black Girls Glow is doing any kind of partnership with any organization is that we started a tandem residency and what this means is that every year they're going to send one artist, one one queer female or non-binary artist from Berlin to Accra to join us in our residency and they also have a couple of weeks to do any project that they want to and then six weeks, one artist from Accra to Berlin for six weeks and so Yes, and um, the first two, three weeks, I was mainly working with my tandem partner, who, whose name is Oyana, just kind of working on our, our performance for Pop Couture. But also, I, I think what, what Music Board offers is an opportunity for you to work on any project that you're interested in. And so um, I'm hoping to work on an EP that kind of centers a um, relationship between women and non-binary people. So yeah, just kind of been so far just been meeting with producers just vibing and seeing what what works what will fit but yeah i want to work with women and non-binary and producers only so i'm excited about that nice so exciting (laughs) so we've had one poem about the past a woman in the past one poem about like feminism present it'd be really nice if we could read one about the future and I thought it'd be cool if we could hear you read the poem A Utopia for Black Girls. It's one of my favourites. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so hopeful. <laughs> a Utopia for Black Girls. Here. Home is a rippling effect of joy and continuum. Which is to say that there is no need for safe spaces because everywhere is safe. The spring in our step is directly proportional to the elasticity of joy. Our footsteps are fertilizer for bloom because we walk freely. In neighborhoods, our own compounds, in the parking lot, at a grocery store, 
in a friend's bedroom at a nightclub, in broad daylight, underneath a bridge in the classroom, on known places, late, late at night. Fear is a strange phenomenon we keep hearing of, trying to descend in a spaceship on our land, but as far as we know, shit don't exist. Safety is communion bread that takes its time to melt underneath our tongues here. Neither Rachel nor Leah need to go through the needle of male validation to attain worthiness. When the gavel hits wood, we are not found guilty of love. Our love is not shoved down our throats as mutilated parts of our own bodies. It is not sliced up like beef and crumbed into an airtight container to be buried in a man's backyard. It is not beaten blue until our skins become playground for primary colours to play nicks and March memory isn't a trigger that builds grief on you. Love does not return back to us empty or broken. It does not misfire our brains and turn our emotions into rot. It does not transform our bodies into a putrid scent of trauma here. The loss of our lives does not stink on us while we are still alive. Our births are weights that hold secured futures firmly in place. Our names are melodies so gossamer you can carry them in your throat. Our black skin siphon wealth for several tomorrows. Our labour yields fruit a thousandfold. There are so many smiles per minute. We stitch them into billboards for wandering strangers to soak in for free. Our brown bodies, a climax in spring. Bodies dancing wild and sweaty arenas with an abundance that closely resembles unbridled giggle. How wide the soul stretches when the body has freedom to move. What is breaking loose to a free spirit? Here, we sing and teach and fly birds into factories, spinning silk for our shimmery skins. We sculpt empathy and cold the future and cook healing into hemlines as hedges for our hefty hips. We build engines and design tomorrow, and palm poems as portals for possibilities. Here, we are eaten light, and a taste like the childlike simplicity of never even knowing of worry to be wary of it. I love that. Do you believe in it? I do, yeah. The title of your book of poems is mm-hmm. Women Eat Me Whole. Can you tell us how you came up with the title and a little bit about that? Yeah, well, this part of the title was the last part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was just kind of working on a number of poems. And when I was putting the manuscript together, I was wondering how how do I tie everything together? But then I noticed that a lot of the poems were woman-centered or, or female body-centered. And then I noticed that there were some of the poems that were pretty personal, and so I centered that around me or I. And then I noticed as well that there were poems that had, or somehow had the metaphor eating in it in, in some ways, one way or the other. And then the last thing which was like, there was a number of poems which didn't necessarily fit into any of them, but I felt like each of these poems were, you know, like tiny little concepts or ideas or cities of their own and so I thought well that makes it kind of whole so that's how I came up with women eat me whole and the 
the picture on the cover? Did you work with someone to design it? So there's an artist in Ghana called Awuchega, Mm -hmm. who is an amazing artist. And it was just, I was, before I went into publishing, like I was told these, these things about publishing that, you know, you don't, you don't get a say in your cover. You don't get a say and just do the work and hand it over to other people. So I, I had kind of given that up, but my, editors and my publishers were really invested in my happiness I guess and so they were like how do you want the cover to look like who are the artists you wanted to look like and I suggested this artist because I was like I feel like her images are in line with the vision of the utopia that I'm kind of looking at and so she already had this artwork that I thought was a perfect fit and yeah beautiful what does she normally really pretty, yeah do um like, yeah you should check her out on instagram i will yeah. check her yeah it's just awo underscore t-s-e-g-a-h and she makes these futuristic it's not only even futuristic like she makes art which they're like translations of you know our realities and i guess the futures we want to see yeah are they paintings or is it a collage it is a collage, it's a collage. yeah it is a collage yeah yeah. There's a lot of life, you know, like yeah, the flowers yeah. and the bird taking off. It's yeah. like, yeah, I really love it too. So yeah, Rina I, regularly chooses books based on their covers. This is true. <laughs> regularly. I believe in it. Like, so when my book came out, I was like, you know, even if you don't like poetry, just go put it and use it to decorate your, your house <laughs> because the cover is amazing. Yeah. It's stunning. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely bought my few books before just based on the cover yeah. too. At the end of each podcast, we normally leave our listeners with like, Three things you can do mm-hmm. this week to be a better person. It can be anything. It can be a book recommendation, how to be a better feminist, how to be a better writer. Like, just three tips. I'm going to start with how to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I think this is advice that if you're trying to be a writer, you've probably had over and over again, but read more. Yeah, reading is the gateway into writing better, and so read more. How to be a better feminist. Recognize your privilege. Recognize the privilege that you have as a, a feminist, as a woman, as a queer person, whichever privilege, because we all have some privilege. So recognize your privilege and investigate how you can use that privilege to not oppress someone, even if you're unaware of the ways in which you oppress. And then the last one, I think this is how to be a better citizen of the world is that be curious expand your palette expand your expand the things you typically reach out for beyond the things you reach out for and so if your ritual is to you know always read the news that's the local news etc like seek out just another country another artist something else like even if you do that once a month like once a week be intentional about learning things that are outside of your skin wonderful thank you so much and thank you for coming to talk to us and sharing your beautiful poetry with us thank you thank you for having me it's such a pleasure and we'll put all of your links into our newsletter including your book and your instagram and everything like that If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as 4 euro a month. Visit 
patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.